Welcome back to Where Do We Go From Here, UMC. I am Reverend Molly Vetter at the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles, and I'm glad to be with you again for further conversation about what issues and challenges and possibilities are here before us now as United Methodists committed to inclusion and justice and love. Our congregation has wanted to know more, to understand how we might be a part of changing and shaping our denomination toward the full inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons and greater faithfulness in our long legacy of work for justice. I'm glad to be with you today for a second interview in this series. My guest today is Randall Miller, who is one of the most United Methodist people I know. He's served on so many of the boards and agencies of our church, been a delegate to General Conference since 1988, been an active leader in the Reconciling Ministries Network and the Methodist Federation for Social Action. He is both an institutionalist and a revolutionary, and I'm grateful for his time, his thoughtfulness, and his faithfulness in our conversation. I invite you to jump in with me now as we listen to how Randall's feeling about where we are in the church right now. How are you feeling in this moment and what do you hope for next? Yeah, uh, I, I was talking to a friend um, uh, from the Southeast a, a couple of months ago uh, as all of the, these recent developments were kind of a, the, the um, general conference being delayed till 2024 and the increasing, I would call it belligerence of the WCA and the pending launch of the, the Global Methodist Church or the GMC and, you know, the turmoil about what to do with jurisdictional conferences and uh, this feeling of deep stuckness. Uh, and it, it, it did feel like, though, uh, we were moving chaotically towards separation, whether we managed that well or not. And the image that uh, I shared with him was that really terrible scene in uh, Gandhi, you know, where the India and Pakistan have decided to split and people are kind of like rushing to be on the right side of the line, you know, uh, in the last 24 hours. It, uh, even though it, that's a little bit overblown, given the crisis that was, it does kind of feel like that, that we're messily moving towards a, a kind of uh, official split in the United Methodist Church and that people are very messily moving and trying to figure out which side of the dividing line that they want to be on. And um, yeah, so it feels to me very chaotic. It uh, uh, And I still believe that the separation is necessary uh, and right uh, if really, you know, um, and I don't think it's just two sides, but multiple folks on various sides or points of view don't feel like that we can live together in harmony, um, that we really need to find a way to sort of split. And it would be better if we could find a, a mutually, mutually agreeable way to do that. Um, but we haven't been able to, and I, I don't think the protocol has been uh, uh, viable for actually a long time now. So um, I, I am still hopeful about what will be a reformed United Methodist Church and hopeful 
that that reformed church, at least in the U.S., will be strongly um, supportive of LGBTQ people and that um, there's this uh, group of folks in the church, uh, center, left, and even some people on the right, who will want to live with each other in community enough to explore what that means and will overcome our fear and our anger and our kind of the stuff that's held us apart and that we'll, we'll have this kind of vibrant group of United Methodists who want to be with each other, want to be in ministry and agree that we have to treat all people with kind of deep respect and uh, include everyone in the United Methodist Church. And I mean, in leadership, I mean, in, I mean, marriage is continuing. Uh, I mean, people who don't want to do marriages opting out, but that the, that the thrust of what has been the reconciling movement goes forward full steam. Um, but that will take some work. And we're really only at the very beginning of that kind of rebirth of the United Methodist Church. There's a lot of hills. So, so I think I, of you, I think <laughs> of you as one of the like most United Methodist people I know, Randall. Uh, <laughs> this is the like denomination that you inherited from great grandparents and grandparents and parents. You've had leadership roles in a wide variety of spaces in your annual conference and church and in the denomination. You've, uh, both chaired the Commission on General Conference and been arrested on the floor of the General Conference in protest. This is like, <laughs> this is this is a lot to hold together. Like what keeps you like working in the church? Uh, it, um, so someone in my current congregation, by the way, everyone, I'm a lay person, not clergy. <laughs> That's helpful, um, right? Like, you don't have to do this. Like, this is a paycheck. Well, this isn't people like... assume I'm clergy. Uh, someone in my uh, local church, we were talking on a panel, and she called me a cradle to grave United Methodist. Which is trying makes, to bury you? Yeah, which just makes me shudder. <laughs> <laughs> I... I uh, I actually don't, uh, I really value my family's presence in the United Methodist Church and the Methodist Church before that in various forms. Uh, and I actually don't feel like a cradle to grave United Methodist. I, I'm really committed to the United Methodist Church as long as I can see this glimmer of being able to move on many fronts to a more just and inclusive church. And that includes for women, and that includes uh, in terms of racial equity concerns, and that includes certainly for LGBTQ plus people and uh, for people in the central conferences, uh, a pathway that is just not so deeply colonialist. Uh, and so um, that's what sparks me. And uh, what keeps me in the church is that I have been in congregations starting when I was very young, uh, who uh, invested a lot in me. Uh, and these were not, you know, the stereotype of everyone sort of uh, from a certain perspective, uh, looking the same, acting the same, believe that was not the case at all. It was were people across the spectrum who, who loved me. Uh, into being and cared for me in times of uh, what I experienced as personal struggle uh, and uh, walked with me as I explored what it meant to live out my life as an out gay Black man in the church. And they didn't all fully understand, but I, I loved them for being on the journey with me. And 
Um, that really is what keeps me, uh, even the commission on the general conference when I was chairing that, which was the worst experience in the church, barring serving on complaint teams. Mm. Um, there were people from across the spectrum in that uh, commission on general conference who were respectful, who engaged with me, who in, appreciated my skills. We didn't always agree, uh, but um, so that's what uh, I think buoys me up, that there is still this kind of constituency and people are uncertain and don't know everything that they need to know and they don't know what full inclusion means on any in any category, but they're willing to kind of hang in there and build relationship and move uh, forward. So that's what keeps me in the church. And I, uh, I would be less than honest to say that there have been a number of times where I have really contemplated leaving because it's gotten that bad. And certainly the special session uh, in 2019 was such a low in um, the history and my personal history that I certainly contemplated leaving. So I don't want to say that you know, I'm here um, come hell or high water. Um, I'm really here uh, because I I think the hope I see is grounded in a theological hope that this is the work of Christ in the United Methodist Church and that, that we still might overcome all of the um, disastrous things that have happened in our history that have deeply harmed people kind of repent of that. And I, you know, I've been a part of the harm uh, in ways as well. Church leaders, many of them Black, but uh, church leaders of all colors, who uh, really understood, you know, the Black his the Black United Methodist, the Methodist history, and still, you know, Mel Talbert, um, uh, Beverly Shamana, Randy Nugent, who used to be the General Secretary of GBHEM, uh, and just uh, 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 Leontine Kelly, um, just uh, this host of really great uh, Black leaders, some of whom became bishops, who uh, walked that kind of double line between this church has done deeply harmful things to me and my community, and uh, this is where we have vested our hope. And so that uh, I was thinking about the other day where that came from, and it really came from them. They they're the ones when I was at a point uh, when I was younger, very, 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 very angry at the church, you know, because you come to awareness of being black, you come to awareness of being gay, you come to awareness of what the church has done on um, uh, at least those fronts. And they were the ones who showed me a path forward. And so it really is um, a path that I deeply believe in, but I really feel like that's why I stay in this groove in terms of being able to see the hope and um, uh, and I, I'm pragmatic. So I, I will just say that I really hate um, the having to talk about money and nuts and bolts. Uh, and um, we, uh, those of us who account ourselves as progressive, centrist uh, and inclusive, um, there is this opponent we have in the Wesleyan Covenant Association. And uh, before that, you know, good news and the IRD. And there really was a point, uh, <laughs> probably 20 years worth of the struggle, where I thought, you know, we're, we just have different ideas about the world. And I live in a world 
increasingly where LGBTQ people are living their lives, getting married, having children, struggling with finances, wondering about the future. And that's just my normal. And they live in a, a very different world. And so um, uh, with a very different theological beliefs. And that was okay with me. I, I did not agree with them and always um, stood in opposition to their imposing that. But I I really have come to this belief that those folks uh, on the other side, some of them, especially the leadership, are in some ways morally bankrupt and that they will do anything to um, uh, to move forward their vision of of uh, of the church, uh, and that uh, particularly in reference to the protocol and the mediation, and uh, it's abundantly clear to me that that uh, even that offer of twenty five million was not enough to kind of compel good behavior and stopping the disruption and, you know, the persecution of folks and the uh, really lying to their folks about who church leaders were. I just, so, um, but yeah, I, it, it will not be the money and talking about money that will save us in, in terms of the, the re, what I hope is a reformed United Methodist Church. It really will be a new generation of uh, leaders, both lay and clergy. And I think uh, younger, I'm 63, so younger leaders who are committed to building those relationships and reforming the church around the theological vision of this vibrant, faithful community that spans uh, countries and continents. Uh, and it will be hard work, but it it will be worth it if that's the goal of rebuilding this community, um, but the money, no, that will not, that will not save us <laughs> offering money and talking about it won't, we have to talk about money, but that's not, if we don't have that other part, there's no point in being in the United Methodist church, right? Why come to a faith community to do the kind of stuff that you could do in any other kind of management setting? Uh, you know, I'm a manager, by career. I love management. I am a management geek. Uh, but that is not why I come to the United Methodist Church to talk about money and committees and administrative stuff. It's necessary. But I come for what traditionalists would call abundant life, those kind of thriving relationships with other people and, you know, hearing of the gospel and taking communion that really refreshes and sets me on a new path. Uh, so, yeah. so I chose to call this class and podcast, where do we go from here? UMC. Yeah. I was Googling and found a blog post you wrote in 2019 with a very <laughs> similar title, uh, yeah. both a nod to Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1967 book. Where do we go from here? Chaos or community that uh, his book was written just a year before the United Methodist Church was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And before his assassination. So it was the very end of his life and the beginning of our, our institutional life. There was a line in that that I found really rich. I'm going to read you your own writing. Uh -oh. <laughs> you said, in the face of pressures to dissolve the United Methodist Church or embrace a false unity, my commitment is to alleviate the suffering of LGBTQ people in all the places where the United Methodist Church is present. 
and I will take any reasonable and principled path to reach that destination. I thought that was really rich. Is that still resonate for you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I probably should say the other guide star for me, um, uh, including and working in leadership positions in what I think of as the institutional church, is LGBTQ plus liberation. So um, uh, uh, I do understand that uh, taking leadership makes you somewhat of an institutionalist, but I'm a, I'm a, I think of myself as a, a kind of subversive institutionalist. But that's really true, that uh, I really do deeply love the church, and I'm doing everything I can to change the current United Methodist Church into a place where people are not just tolerated, but empowered to live their lives uh, in a deep, rich way. Uh, and that that commitment to the LGBTQ plus struggle, along with many, 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 many others, including people who have now become ancestral, is what also has kind of motivated me that that's, yeah, that's my commitment, that I uh, deeply love the church and its possibilities. And you know, that means kind of overturning some of the tables and um, moving us forward. And, and I will say, I even feel that way about the administrative processes of the church. I, they, they've gotten too big and too expansive and are a hindrance to doing lively ministry. And I love what the United Methodist Church and the general agencies have done you know, most of my life. I'm a diehard fan of them. And I re I think maybe their time has come and gone that we need a uh, we need something to help people like general agencies, but we might restructure them a bit so that they are part of a this vibrant movement. Um uh, uh structure them in conversation with them so that we understand how church structure is supporting this vibrant, lively movement to be faithful disciples of Christ and deeply committed to inclusion, justice, equity. Uh, uh, yeah, so so I, I think people don't think that I'm still the radical who would overturn. I really am. There's just now a layer of age and institutionalism. <laughs> You've also been the leader of all the committees. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we're here. We yeah. our, our congregation, like you, shares this commitment to a church that represents the fullness of the diversity of our community, that embraces and celebrates the gifts of LGBTQ plus people, as well as works to overcome and dismantle racist structures and sexist structures. So we're here with you, and we want to get to a place where the institutional church is fully supportive of that. And there's a lot of like the ways we normally do that, like resolutions at general conference or whatever, like can't happen. What what can a church like ours do in this? Like, what do we do now? Do, are we just like deferred until that moment? Or like, wh what advice would you give for how to live now? Or what to yeah, do? I, um, yeah, how to live between the times, which is kind of another um, Martin Luther King sermon. The um, Yeah, I, uh, so we, for, for good or for ill, 
the church at the general level has been in a long period of stuckness and it's uh, in a period of stuckness where multiple crises, COVID, everything else has rocked the church. And um, for good or ill, that moment of stuckness is, is now coming undone and things are beginning to move forward and it, it's somewhat chaotic. So we do still have to, uh, everyone and not just institutionalists or people have to keep our eye on the ball uh, and be clear about the kind of church, United Methodist Church we want to live into in the future. So I think that's another thing that people could do. So, um, and then just keep shining your light as a congregation that welcomes all people and is is struggling to live into what that means. I think it's that's incredibly important. Um, I'll just say again that what gives me hope, uh, one of the things was that I was nurtured in a congregation that was long before there was a reconciling movement and long before I understood that I was a gay man. But I was nurtured by in my local congregation by people who loved me deeply and saw my leadership skills. They also uh, understood, even though they also saw, they didn't fully understand, that as a young person in junior high and high school, I was undergoing a profound crisis of who I was. And though they didn't like sit me down and say, what is it? They surrounded me with a cocoon and kind of assured me that I would be all right, that I was a valuable person, that I had a contribution to make, you know, in subtle and not so subtle ways. And I really think that that saved my life in terms of uh, that I did not experience the, the really troubling things that happen to people who come out early in life, you know, disconnect from community, feeling like your life is not worth anything, feeling like, you know, the whole world is against you. I never felt like that because I knew that, um, that I had this strong support from my local church uh, of people who had mentored and cared for me. Um, so much so that uh, for years after that, 10 or 15 years, I would go back to my local church in my dreams and walk the corridors there uh, as a way of kind of, I think, kind of stabilizing myself and remembering um, that gift. So um, so I, local churches can do powerful things um, to save uh, LGBTQ plus kids, uh, Black kids like me, other people of color, uh, women, uh, and uh, can do powerful things to change the uh, the way that the church is. So that's beautiful. That gives me hope. Thank you, Randall. Yep. Um, where was that church? Can we give a shout out to your? Yes, Glenmont United Methodist Church in Silver Spring, Maryland. It's still there, much diminished, but it's still there. Um, but just uh, uh, a church of the saints, many of whom now have passed on, but still just a fantastic church. Well, it's been a gift and treasure to have this time with you today, Randall. Thanks for listening in to this conversation that I'm grateful to have had with Randall Miller. I hope you found inspiration and hope for the work of the church in all of the places where we are, for the power and possibility to be communities of liberation and justice and joy. 
I encourage you to continue to listen in on this series and to instigate conversations where you are. We'll be back next week with episode three, a conversation with Lonnie Chafin, the treasurer of the Northern Illinois Annual Conference. He's a longtime General Conference delegate, and he and I will sit down to talk about what all this talk about pension and property has to do with the gospel. I hope you'll join us then. Thanks for being here today and blessings.